mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Jesus' Prayer for the Church. His scripture text will be taken from the book of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Here now, Pastor Moody. Amen. I want to just talk to you a little bit tonight. Amen. About this is the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know most people think the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 6, where he said, Our Father, which art in heaven. No, that's where he was teaching us to pray. But this is the prayer the Lord prayed for us, and I want to read from tonight. John chapter 17, it's part of the Upper Room Discourse. It's the last recorded words, really, uh, of Jesus and prayers and things that he said. And uh, I want to just read a little bit of the last thing Jesus prayed. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. John chapter 17, let's just start at the beginning, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which You gave me out of the world. In other words, to His disciples, to His followers. Thine they were. You gave them to to me, and they have kept Your word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed and thou, that thou didst send me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world at this moment. I'm not praying for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are thine. I want to preach tonight just for a little while on Jesus' prayer for the church. Amen. What Jesus prayed for the church. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the anointing, the ministry tonight, the worship. We just pray that you would move here tonight and touch us and speak to us and and just uh, enlarge us in our effectiveness to reach the world that's lost without God. Help us be messengers of the cross empowered by the Holy Ghost, Lord, to carry the truth to those that are dying. Let your will be done, and we'll give you praise. And the church said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Many years ago, I was in a meeting with T.L. Lowry, and I heard him say this, make this statement. T.L. Lowry, a great church God 
evangelist, preacher, former general overseer of the Church of God, great man of God, one of the, I think, modern-day apostles of the faith. And T.L. Lowry said this. Uh, he said, you can tell a lot about the heart of a man if you can hear how he prays. You can tell a lot about the heart of a man or of a woman if you can hear how they pray. And in this text, we get to take a look at the heart of Jesus, what he felt for us, the believers, by the way that he prayed for us in this chapter. Now, I want you to notice that he was very specific in his prayer as to who he was praying for. He says, Father, I'm praying for them now, those that you gave me, those that have received your word. In other words, the church, the followers. Not praying for the world right now, but I'm praying for the church. And I begin to think about uh, really how important that was. And uh, the context of the scripture is this, that Jesus was about to be betrayed. He had just had the last supper. They'd had the foot washing. He'd, he had given that upper room discourse to the disciples. He started out by saying to them, I want you to know in my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Where I'm going, you know the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He said in that uh, discourse, Brother Nick, he said, I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to send you another comforter. He's going to send the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? This was important. As I said, this was Jesus last night with his disciples, his last night of ministry. His last night to impart to them what they needed to hear. He'd tell them, don't depart. Stay in that upper room. Wait there. The power of God's going to come. I'm going to anoint and empower the church when I get back to heaven. And he, he spoke many things. But now he's coming down to the end of this, this meeting. And he begins to pray. And uh, he was going to be... Uh, betrayed, he was going to be beaten and judged. He was going to Calvary. He was going to be crucified. <clears throat> In other words, he is about to die. Can you say amen? How many of you think tonight that if you knew you were going to die suddenly and you were about to perhaps pray your last prayer, how many of you think that you would uh, be very specific in what you prayed? Let me ask this. Who would you pray for? If you, if you thought that I'm about to die within the next 24 hours, who would you be praying for? Well, I tell you, you'd be praying for those that you love the most. You'd be praying for those that were the most important to you. You'd be praying, in Jesus' case, for those who were going to carry on the work. He told them, he said, you're going to do the works that I do and greater works. You're going to do greater things than I did. Because I'm going to the Father and the Holy Ghost is going to come. He's going to be in all of you. Not just me, but in all of you. You're going to go out in the same anointing. and So you're going to be vastly expanding the kingdom and the work of God. Let me understand what I'm saying. So he understood that, that his legacy, his ministry, his church was dependent upon what he prayed. Can you say amen? 
And uh, you might say, well, why would they be more important than anybody else? Why wouldn't he pray for the poor? Remember what he said? You're always going to have the poor, but you're not always going to have me. Why wouldn't he pray for the, you know, the disenfranchised, those, those that have been kind of left out? He told the Father, he said, of, of all those you gave me, I've got all of them but one. I didn't lose any of them but one. He was a devil from the beginning, talking about Judas. And he said, I, I gave them your word. They've understood that I came from you. They understood who I am. They know what I came for. So he said, I'm praying for them. It's impaired. Listen, Jesus didn't minister his most intimate ministry to the crowd. If you read in the Bible, there was always multitudes thronging him. At times, it was the fishes and loaves crowd that was looking for a free lunch. At times, it was the, the sick and the impotent and the demon-possessed that were looking for deliverance. But when Jesus did his most in-depth teaching, Brother Doyle, it was that 12 that was around him. He brought them in around him. He'd speak words to them. He'd tell them parables. He, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to the world in parables that they can understand things. But when I speak to you, I'll speak directly. As a man would speak face to face with his friend, I'll tell you the heart of God. I'll reveal things to you that the world can't know. And I'm going to tell you something tonight, church. God says things to the church that he doesn't say to the world. And some of the stuff we hear and some of the stuff we believe, in fact, the business, most of it to the world is this, you know, it's something they can't put their mind around. And Paul said it's because spiritual things have to be grasped with a spiritual mind. Can you say me? The carnal mind is an enemy against God. So he said, I'll pray for the church. And I'll tell the church things that, that I wouldn't tell anybody else. Hallelujah. Now, I started to look at this, and Jesus makes the point that it was this group, the disciples, the believers, those that would be the foundation of the church that he would empower and, and give the great commission to. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them all things. Make disciples. Everywhere you go, change them. Hallelujah. Don't let people be what they used to be before they met you. Can you say amen? So it's important that he prays for this group of people. Remember, it was... In Matthew 16 and 18, when he had asked them, who do people say I am? And they said, well, some think you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the great prophets come back from the dead. Who do you think I am? And uh, Simon Peter looked at him and, and uh, said, you're the son of the living God. Hallelujah. And he said, well, I, I say unto you in Matthew 16, 18, uh, that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Upon what rock? Not Peter, but the revelation that they understood who Jesus was. Can I tell you, the high priest missed who Jesus was. The Sanhedrin missed who Jesus was. The educated, learned Pharisees and Sadducees and the 
the great scholars of that day, they didn't get it. Hallelujah. Does anybody know what I'm saying? But thank God that little ragtag bunch of disciples that he called from tax collecting tables and from the seashore mending nets, that little bunch that were ignorant and unlearned, when, they, when he got done with them, your Bible said they took note of them, that they'd been with Jesus. And they said, they have turned the world upside down. And it was all much in part of the fact of what Jesus prayed over them. Can you say amen? So I began to look at this prayer and I thought, man, this is pretty important stuff. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Watch this. And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. One place it said, and whosoever's sins you remit will be remitted. In other words, whoever you take forgiveness to is forgiven. And whoever sins you retain. In other words, whoever you hold in judgment, their sins will still be on them. How do you understand what I'm saying? God didn't call any civic group, any club, any secret organization. He called the church built upon the rock that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Lord of glory. He died for sin. He was buried. He rose again. He sent back the Holy Ghost. Can somebody shout Amen. We don't need anything but the church empowered with the Holy Ghost preaching the gospel and teaching whatsoever the Holy Ghost tells us to teach. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise if you would. So I started to look at this and can I tell you, it really stirred me up. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, he's excited. Are y'all excited yet? Are you excited that Jesus prayed for you? Just think, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to pray. The comforter's going to come. Woo, I've got it. Thank God I've got it. You know what he told Peter? He said, Peter, the devil has desired you to sift you like wheat. How many of you felt like you've been going through a sifting lately? Y'all know what a sifting is? I do. My grandma used to sift flour. Back in the day before it was Martha White and, and uh, White Lily or Lily, what, what is it, Gail? White Lily and all that stuff. I remember my grandmother, amen, they used to have meal ground and they used to buy flour and, and, and sometimes that flour would have stuff in it. And she had a sifter that she'd sift that flour and I'd watch her. She'd sift that flour and shake it through that thing and when she got done, Brother Dole knows what's going on. When she got done, there'd be little lumps and clumps of impurities in there and she'd throw it out and a lot of times she'd sift it again. Anybody? And so what Jesus was saying was, Peter, the devil wants to sift you, man. He wants to tear you in every little piece he possibly can. But you know what he said? I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Can I tell you something? The night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter denied him. Jesus prophesied that he would. He denied him three times before the rooster crowed and even cursed and said that he denied him. But can I tell you, his faith didn't fail. It took me a long time to understand that. Can I explain it just a a little bit? 
What happened was his flesh got weak. What happened was his mind got troubled. What happened was his expectations were dashed. But don't judge him too harshly. Pentecost hadn't happened yet. He didn't have the Holy Ghost that would keep you, Brother Nick. And so that night, it wasn't his faith that failed. I'm about to shout. It was his flesh that gave him trouble. How many will say, y'all ever had any trouble with the flesh? Well, can I tell you something tonight? Every now and you might, you, and then you might mess up. You might get frustrated. You might get aggravated. You might get discouraged. You might say negative things and you might feel like turning back. But if you'll dig down deep inside, there's a faith that's in you that came from the word of God and your flesh may mess up. But John said, whatsoever is born of God doth not, cannot commit sin, willfully sin. Why? Because there's a seed, there's a word, there's faith in you that if you'll embrace it and if you'll water it, nurture it, fan it, it will never fail. Can you say amen? Glory. So Jesus prayed very specific prayers for his disciples and for the church. And I want to tell you something. He didn't just pray for them. He prayed for us. He prayed for all of us. He said, I've got sheep of another fold. He said, I've got people that ain't even born yet. Hallelujah. He said, I'm going to raise up some guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus who will become the apostle Paul and I'll send him and Peter to the Gentiles. And he said, a nation that wasn't a nation now will start to call me Lord and people that weren't my people will begin to be gathered in. Jesus prayed these things, can you say amen? So we see this, this very, very important prayer. Now, I want to tell you this. God is looking at the church And he expects the church to be faithful. Hello. God expects you to be faithful. Not just, you know, faithfulness is more than commitment. That's part of faithfulness. But real faithfulness is being strong in your faith. Having some strength and vitality to your faith. It's not enough to warm a pew, can you say amen? It's not enough you know, to just try to, you know, uh, to hold on till Jesus comes. Those that endure to the end shall be saved. But I read where uh, uh, Daniel said those that, that believe in him will, do, will wax strong and do great exploits, can you say? There's a difference in just making it and doing something while you're on the journey, can you say amen? So Jesus, you know, God is expecting us to be faithful, to be strong in the faith. And can I tell you this? The world needs us. The world needs a strong church. Hello. The world needs a strong church presence. The world doesn't need a compromising church. The world doesn't need a church that's embracing Hollywood's notions, you know, of ecumenicalism, that that whatever you believe is okay as long as you believe it. Hello? I mean, there's two billion Muslims on this planet that believe that they're going to heaven and get 24 virgins or something when they get there if they kill people. 
They're not going. They're going to hell. Can I get a witness? And I don't say that gladly. I say it with a broken heart because Jesus came and told the church, he said, I want you to take this to every creature. Can you say amen? I want everybody to know that there's a church that knows God, that knows Jesus, that has what God gave Jesus, that has what Jesus gave the church. He said, I want the world to know that there's a church that's saved, that lives in godly, holy lifestyle, that's filled with the Holy Ghost, a church that knows the power of the word of God and the gospel a church that's not ashamed of this Jesus or this message or his spirit can you say amen he needs, the world needs a strong church, amen more than they need anything or anybody else only the church can be the church so Jesus prayed and I think it's probably the most important prayer in the Bible and I want us to just, uh, we, we ain't got time to go through the whole thing, but I'd like to just kind of hit the highlights of what Jesus prayed for when he prayed for them and prayed for us. Amen? Somebody say amen. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2 and 3, uh, he said, uh, as you've given him power over all flesh, talking about himself, the Son, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Now, I want you to get this. It's important, and sometimes I think we lose this. I think it's important that the church not just name the name of Jesus, but I think it's important that we know God and know who God is and know what God is like and know what God wants and know what God's heart is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. How can they believe if they've not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach if they're not called and sent? Are you with me? It's, it's imperative, amen, for us, all of us, to be equipped like Ephesians 4, empowered, matured, grown up, know how to carry a gospel to a, to a lost world. You, you college students that, that are here, you're, you're, in a, you're in a prime harvest field. And I know you've got a busy schedule. And I know it's just you know, helter-skelter running here and there. But if you're a child of God and you know Jesus and you know God and you know what the world needs, God's looking to you and they need you. Hallelujah. Are you with me? They need you desperately. And so the first thing that he prayed for was that we may have, we may have, possess, and impart or give eternal life through him. How many of you know that in your words there's the power of life and death? In your words there's a message of, of salvation. In your words there's, there's a message of justification. You, you can introduce people to the way, the truth, and the life to the door. Can you say amen? You, you might be the only one throwing out a lifeline. One, one preacher said that, that uh, a fellow was preaching one night and said he had a piece of rope. And said he picked that piece of rope up and showed it to the congregation. He said, does anybody have an idea what this rope is worth? Somebody guess what the rope is worth. And, Said one guy maybe was a farmer or someone dealt with rope, sort of knew what that length of rope was worth. Said, why it's worth about twenty-seven dollars. 
He said, $27. He said, anybody else got any idea what this rope is worth? Well, nobody could you know, really answer the question intelligibly. He said, let me tell you the worth of this rope. He said, if you're in the water drowning, and I'm in the boat, and I've got the rope, he said, it's worth everything in your life for me to throw you that rope. Can you say amen? Help me understand what I'm saying. And so we as a church have got to realize the value of what it is that we possess. We possess the only means. Can I say it again? We possess the only means of eternal life. There is. How many believe Jesus is the only way? He's the only Savior, the only message. So he wanted us to have and to be able to give eternal life through him. In John 3, 14, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John the Baptist in John three thirty six said this. He said, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Paul the Apostle in Galatians 6 and verse 8 said, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm praying for the church. Listen, not only that they'll be saved, but that they'll have the ability to get others saved. Wow. How many of you got people that you love that for all appearances sake, it just looks like they're going to hell? Isn't that sad? You know? And you might say, well, I'm believing they're going to get saved. Well, you just keep believing that. But it's time that you understand that faith without works is dead, being alone. And that literally means it's not enough to believe it. You've got to do something about it. Is this all right? It's time that we take the good news to them. That we let them understand that Jesus is not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he is life. Hallelujah. He's given me life. Glory to God. Now, the next day he prayed, and, and I'm sort of skipping over some of this, you know. Uh, he, he prayed, you know, for there to be a restoration of the former glory. But in verse 11, Jesus prayed like this, that we may be one with the Father. Now, Jesus often stated and demonstrated that he and the Father were one. Now, a lot of people get confused about that. They misunderstand the whole doctrine of the Trinity. They try to teach a oneness doctrine. And I'm not here to try to dismantle anybody's teaching. But I'm here to tell you we believe in the Trinity around here. We believe God is eternally existent as the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Three persons make one God. They'll teach you in school that one plus one plus one is three. We'll teach you that one plus one plus one is one. Can you say amen? One God. Three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Holy Ghost. Amen. How do you say, I can't understand that. Well, just believe it. You will one day when you get to heaven. But Jesus said, I want you to understand that I want you to be one like the Father and I were one. One in purpose. One in function. 
In other words, everything he did was directly in proportion to his relationship to the Father. Amen. In John 10, 30, he said, I and my Father are one. The Jews took up stones to stone him when he said that. Verse 32, he said, many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Verse 37, he said, if I do not the works of my Father, then believe me not. But if I do Though ye believe me not, believe the works that they may know, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and that I am in him. In other words, Jesus was saying, I want you to know, I don't say anything except the Father tells me to say it. Everything I do is what God would do if he was here. Wow. Somebody some years ago had come out with some bracelets. Y'all remember them? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, I could answer that. Jesus would do what the Father would do. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You won't hear me say nothing that the Father wouldn't say. And I know the purpose of those bracelets was for us to consider before we react to any situation and say, well, what would Jesus do? Ah, if you knew the Father, if you had oneness with the Father, like Jesus did, you wouldn't have to ask that question. Is this all right? Am I preaching all right? The Ryrie Study Bible said, all believers belong to the one body of Christ, to the same household of God. Therefore, this spiritual unity should be visibly expressed in the exercise of spiritual gifts, spiritual prayer, and spiritual exhortations. The Full Life Study Bible said, the unity that Jesus prayed for was not an organizational unity, but rather a spiritual unity based on abiding in Christ, in verse 23, a love for Christ, in verse 26, separation from the world, verse 14 through 16, and sanctification in truth, verse 17 and 19, and the desire to bring salvation to the lost. The church has to be unified in its very purpose for existing. So Jesus said, I want you to know I came He said, the Son of Man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. Let me me translate. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He made himself of no reputation, the Scriptures. He did things like wash people's feet. I mean, Jesus got down, and washing feet then wasn't just like, you know, we do foot washings when we do them like a little ceremony. When they walked through the dirty, nasty streets and stepped in the uh, horse exhaust, hello, and sheep and goat exhaust and camels, hello. Time they got places, most time their feet was nasty. So when they come into your house, the servant would wash their feet to make them feel Well, first of all, so they wouldn't stink the house up. And then also make them feel accepted. So Jesus, at the Last Supper, being ended, took a towel and girded himself, laid aside his his garment, and girded himself like a servant would, got a basin of water, and got down and washed those disciples' dirty feet. And then you know what he said? He said, if you'll do this, you'll be happy. Wow. 
And so Jesus said, I want you know, I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come here to be, you know, to, for somebody to bow down before me. I came here to bear witness of the Father. I came here to show fallen humanity that God has come among you. His name, Isaiah said, is Emmanuel, God with us. He said, the Spirit's upon me. He's anointed me to bind up broken hearts, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to open the prison houses. He wasn't talking about a jailbreak. He's talking about getting people free from the bondage of sin and death. So he said, I want you to know who I am. And I want you to understand that my whole purpose for existing, the Bible said he endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set beyond it. How many understands? Am I preaching all right tonight? I'm telling you what Jesus, Jesus prayed that we might become one in our determination and our purpose with the Father as he was. Now, number three, I'm not going to go on much longer here, maybe about another 45 minutes. <laughs> What's this? Look at, at uh, John 17, verse 13. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. In other words, he's saying, God, I'm asking you, and, I'm, and, and I want you to know that the things that I speak in the world, I spoke them that they might have my joy. What was Jesus saying? Was he saying, I want you all to be running around <laughs> all the time. No, he said, I want them to know the joy of hearing you say, I'm well pleased in you. Amen. My, this is God on two different occasions said, This is my beloved son. In him, I'm well pleased. He said it when he got baptized to begin his ministry, and he said it on the Mount of Transfiguration when they was wanting to build a, a, a tabernacle to, to Moses and Elijah. And God said, No, this is my son. I'm pleased, well pleased. Yeah, I was happy with Moses, but I didn't let him go into the promised land because he disobeyed me and smote the rock the second time when I told him to prophesy to it. Yeah, I enjoyed I loved Elijah, and I caught him up in a chariot of fire, but he's got to come back and die one day because he's still a man. But I'm here to tell you, this is my son, and he pleases me. There's no greater joy than that in life. To know that you're pleasing God. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus said, I want to pray for the church. That they might have this joy and it might be fulfilled. Can I tell you that the fruit of the Spirit is joy? Yet I don't know if we realize the magnitude of His joy. When the 70 return in Luke chapter 10 from, you know, casting out devils. Luke 10 and 20. You know, they, they come back and rejoice and say, man, the devils are subject to us. And, uh, and Jesus said, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice 
that your names are written in heaven. And that hour Jesus rejoiced in his spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. You know what he was saying? He was saying, God, the religious hierarchy missed this. But your people have got a hold of it and they've been casting out devils and Jesus was happy about that. I don't think he wants us to sit around and wring our hands and chew our fingernails and drink Maalocs or Rolades or whatever and have a breakdown because of what the devil's doing. I don't know what in the world we're going to do. Why don't you just get full of the Holy Ghost and, and get full of the faith of God and just go cast the devils out. Cast them out. I'm, and I'm not being hard. I'm, I'm saying that to me. Why don't you go cast them out? I have on occasion. I think we ought to be in such a shape with God we can cast them out every day. Who's that preacher said? One, two, three, test, test. Is this working? There's nothing like the joy of knowing that you're saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, doing the will of God, knowing God called you to do something, Stepping into it and watching it work. Hallelujah. Nothing like that in this world. Let me go on. There's a joy that only the righteous knows. You know that John 15 and 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. What joy? The joy of keeping his commandments, abiding in his love, abiding in his presence, knowing you're in communion with God, knowing that doing what God has said, and he said, when you do that, you can have a fullness of joy. Can I just haul off and say this? Ain't nobody got fullness of joy that don't pray, that don't read the Word of God, that just comes to church whenever they feel like it. Hello, somebody. Amen. That walks around trying to live like the world one day and the church the next day. Amen. They, they, nobody got no joy trying to see how close to that stinking world they can get. Real joy comes from living and abiding in his word and in his presence and doing what he know, you know he's called you to do. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. You know, I remember when God called me to preach and scared my wife half to death. And she said, I didn't sign on for this. And, and I don't blame her. Because we'd seen what people had tried to do to preachers and their families. But I, I accepted the call, and I was working in the factory, and I started pastoring churches, and I had, had some success. And then I started this church, and we were growing, and God was moving, and we bought this property, and we were right getting, you know, trying to build a church, and I was trying to pastor. And the job I had, Brother Danny, there's working me 12 hours a day. I was having to work overtime, and I, I wasn't getting to see my kids. They were growing up without daddy. 
And I was having, trying to do hospital visits, trying to study the Word of God. I was burning the candle at both ends. Wasn't getting any sleep. I was sick. I mean, my body just couldn't hold up under it. And I'll never forget it. I was praying. I was crying out. I said, oh, God, you got to help me. Oh, God, why don't you move for me? I can't take this anymore. Never forget this. I was praying one night. And if I've ever heard God, he spoke to me as plain as anything I've ever heard and said, I didn't call you to work in a factory. I called you to pastor my people. And I thought, wait a minute, God. Y'all ever do anything smart like that? I said, who's going to pay my bills? How am I going to live? I've got a good job here. I mean, I've got a job people would love to have. I've got great benefits and retirement plan and vacations. And my insurance is all paid for. And, and I make pretty decent money. And I'm living in a good house. Got a new car. Who's going to take care of all this stuff? He did, I guess what you did, he just sort of grinned at me. And God began to deal with me and said, if you'll trust me, I'll show you. And to make a long story short, in a little while, I left that job. And can I tell you, God took care of us. I took $150 a week cut in pay. Lost my insurance, lost my benefits. Well, my kids were never sick after that. Are you hearing me? During that time. My wife wasn't sick. I wasn't sick. We wasn't in the hospital. Nothing went wrong. I, I was sitting at the house one day, and I've told this before, but I love to share it. I was paying our bills, and I wrote out checks, sent off our bills, balanced our checkbook. I laughed. I told my wife, I said, we've never made less and have more in our lives. Hallelujah. God took care of us. And he let me know the joy of obedience. Let me go on. You see, Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And finally, the last thing I want to share with you is that Jesus prayed that God would keep us from evil. Listen to this. John 17, verse 15. I pray not that you would take them out of the world. Again, the world needs us, folks. They need the message. They need the, and we're salt and light. How many understand that? He said, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want to pray that you'll just keep them from evil. Just, you know, uh, Jesus prayed that when he prayed and taught us how to pray. He said, you know, he said, we should pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Peter said, you know, we pray that God would, he told that church, the bunch there in the upper room when he preached there on the first day at Pentecost, he said, you know, that God would save you from this untoward generation, the evil influence of this generation. And so he, he prayed that God would keep us from evil. In Isaiah 52 and 10, he said, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. In other words, God is. And said our We hope you enjoyed today's message and will tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.